The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus spoke to the crowds about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed to be cured. As the day was drawing to a close, the twelve approached him and said, Dismiss the crowd so that they can go to the surrounding villages and farms and find lodging and provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. He said to them, Give them some food yourselves. They replied, Five loaves and two fish are all we have, unless we ourselves go and buy food for all these people. Now the men there numbered about five thousand. Then he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty. They did so and made them all sit down. Then, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he said the blessing over them, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. They all ate and were satisfied. And when the leftover fragments were picked up, they filled twelve wicker baskets. The Gospel of the Lord. Today we celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Feast of the Body and Blood of our Lord. Indeed, it is a a special feast of solemnity, traditionally observed on the Thursday after Trinity Sunday, but of such great importance that uh, the bishops of the Church in America have seen fit to move it to Sunday, that it might be celebrated with even greater solemnity. And as we come and read the readings and we hear the word of the Lord proclaimed to us today, we hear an interesting gospel passage. The feeding of the 5,000. This is the only miracle of Jesus that is contained in all four Gospels. Many of them have three of the same, you know, it's in three Gospels. A lot of them are just kind of one single story in, in, in particular Gospels. But this is the only miracle that Jesus works that it, all four Gospel writers felt it necessary to include. Even John who's the one who writes at a much later date, knowing that all the other things have been written, many things John just leaves out because he he knows Matthew, Mark, and Luke already covered that. But even John himself sees fit to include this miracle in his gospel. And when we know that, it should mean that this is a very important passage for us to reflect upon. That it's not by happenstance that it found its way in each of the gospels. Now, we can look at the reading, and we can look at the, the, the gospel passage itself, and we can, we can glean a few things about the person of Jesus. We know that he works great miracles, that he's healing people, and then he feeds a, a multitude of 5,000 men plus women and children. We know also that he is mindful of our needs, that he recognizes the, the need of the people and, and, and genuinely acknowledges it to be able to give them food. We recognize also that he is generous. That there's leftovers. It wasn't just enough. It was more than enough. And lastly, that our Lord, he doesn't come and do things in such a way that he makes something entirely new. He takes what's already there. He takes the stuff that they already have, five loaves and two fish, and he makes it something new. He amplifies it. In the course of our own life, Oftentimes, the ways by which God works is not by doing something entirely different, but he uses the stuff of our daily life to be able to bring something new forth from it. 
All of these things tell us something about our Lord, but all of these things also can easily be gleaned from numerous other miracles. What is it about this particular passage that was so vital that all four of the gospel writers included it? And I would suggest to you that they include it because it is the fulfillment of something God was doing that was very, very important to his people. That he was leading them to himself. That this passage that we just read is a major stepping stone in the life of faith of the people of Israel and for us today. Again, there are a number of kind of... um, I guess, little rules that I've encouraged you to to remember and to make use of as you're reflecting and reading the sacred scriptures. One of those rules is to remember that God usually works in patterns. That usually God does something and he does it again later in a different and more deep and profound way. And he'll do it oftentimes again. So the Lord God doesn't just kind of do something new because he knows we wouldn't catch on. He does something in patterns where we've seen it before. We've understood those words, that that symbolic action, the use of those particular things before. And he brings us to something even deeper as it goes along. We can see this certainly in the Old Testament with Noah and the ark. We all know the story of Noah, right? The flood and the 40 days of rain. The the rain comes down and the floods cover the earth because the the people were caught up in their sin. So the Lord sends a flood, washes the sin away. And then whenever the the flood water is to recede, there is new life. There is new growth. There's all these wonderful things. The promise of Israel being fulfilled. And that's a symbol of baptism, the water that comes and washes away sin, and in its place, when the water is gone and wiped away, a child has the gift of new life. A child has the gift of being an adopted son or daughter of God. And so these are symbols that God uses, and he uses hundreds of them to be able to bring his people to the fullness of the knowledge of faith. And we see part of them today. Now, what, we, what I'm saying here. Um, It's a very, very small snippet of what's actually contained in these readings. Uh, We could literally sit here till six o'clock tonight and I wouldn't have to repeat myself and there would still be more left. But I'm pretty sure y'all don't want to hang out with me till six o'clock tonight. Um, And I don't even have five loaves or two fish with me. So, but know that there is a whole lot more that is unsaid than what is said in the following. One of the other details that's important for us also whenever we're looking and determining and kind of making sense of the scriptures is to look at the details. The little things that, when included, tell us something. Our first reading today includes the person of Melchizedek. He's an important figure because... He is the one that Christ kind of fulfills the type of, right? That's why our responsorial psalm today, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's a proclamation of the, of the, the reality that Christ is fulfilling the person of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? He was a man who comes out of nowhere and has no end. This is what essentially in the Jewish scriptures in the book of Genesis, he has no lineage, which means... He has no family in the past. He's just a man who existed forever in the past. And he never, never indicates that he dies. So he's a man that lives on forever. Now, this is, the, this is how the Jewish people would write it and how they would understand it. That's how they interpreted it. He is a priest forever in the beginning and in the end. 
And this priest comes and he offers bread and wine, the highest gift that is to be offered in the age. And it's interesting that, that Abraham bows down to him and gives Melchizedek a tithe. Rather than, than, than Melchizedek giving Abraham a tithe, it's, it's the, the, that everyone kind of bows down to Melchizedek. Because Melchizedek is preparing the way for the person of Christ. In the Old Testament, we have a man who is eternal, has no beginning, has no end. He is a priest and he is a king. And he comes to offer the gifts of bread and wine. And the Lord God is using that to prepare us because one day he will send his son who has no beginning, who has no end, who is high priest, who is king of kings and lord of lords. And he comes to offer a gift of bread and wine. That's our first reading. Recognize also that in the gospel, there are a number of particular things. And, and again, Oftentimes, these are details that we pass by because we simply see them as descriptive, but they're also often descriptive for a purpose. The disciples, whenever they go to Jesus, they're saying, send send the people away. We don't have any food, and this is a deserted place. You know what else was a deserted place? The wilderness in which the people of Israel walked. The word, in fact, is, is interchangeable. We are out in the wilderness. There's nothing here. Send the people away so they can get food and provisions. The disciples are telling Jesus that we are like the people out in the, the people of Israel out in the desert wandering for 40 years. We have no food and there's nowhere that we can go to find it. So the first thing they think is send the people away. But what Jesus is using, he's, he's taking the thing that they have just told them, right? Because Jesus always takes the stuff that we give him and he does something with it. He takes the news that we are in a deserted place and he goes, ah, I've worked in deserted places before. I've provided for my people in the wilderness. Have them sit down. They're seated in this wilderness. And the Lord God, Jesus, works a miracle to nourish his people once again. It's not for no reason that this passage, this miracle, is the prelude to the rest of St. John's sixth chapter, in which Jesus would explicitly speak to the same exact people and tell them, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you do not have life within you. The Father gives you true bread from heaven, because the people know what he's doing. The people, after experiencing this miracle, they say, you know, Abraham gave us manna in the desert. They're already connecting the dots. We had the manna. You gave us this. Now what else are you going to give us? Are you going to keep giving us this? And Jesus immediately directs them to a deeper reality. I'm not just going to feed all 5,000 of you every single day. I'm going to feed you with something even more. I'm going to give you my flesh and my blood. This is the reality of what Jesus takes place. This this entire feeding of the 5,000 is the prelude that God is using to prepare his people For the Eucharist. And this is why it's included in all four Gospels. Because unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you do not have life. God wants his people to have life. And so he's going to make sure that they have as many opportunities to be able to hear the ways by which they can come to have life. All four Gospel writers include this passage. 
In a sense, you can see that this is kind of like step two in the process. The Old Testament, the, the, feeding, of the, five, the, the feeding of the people of Israel in the manna uh, with the special manna in the desert, that's step one. God provides for his people a miraculous bread. Step two, Jesus comes and says, I'm doing something new. That was then, this is now. We're moving deeper. And he kind of gives them a, a, a sort of appetizer, if you will, before the Eucharist is given. And we know that our second reading is, is part three. It's the reality of what Jesus himself gives, that you know, Peter, or not Peter, Paul, is speaking to the Corinthians. He's saying, what, I've, what I'm giving to you, I, I received from the Lord myself. That at the Last Supper, he took bread, broken, and said, this is my body. And took the cup and said, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant. Because there was an old covenant he was fulfilling. Doing something new so that his people could understand. The entire feeding of the 5,000 is a preparation for us. To recognize the gift of the Eucharist in Holy Mass. And that the Lord continues to provide for his people here and now. In a most miraculous way. For those who are attentive, you'll also recognize that there are several things in here. There are three particular pieces, and probably more if I would spend more time reflecting upon it, that directly connect with our experience of Mass every week. Note the words that St. Luke describes. They should be familiar to us of what Jesus does in, in bringing forth this miracle. That Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven. He takes the bread and blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples. These are almost word for word. The words of the institution narrative that we offer every week. The reminder of what Jesus did at the Last Supper. He did the same thing before. So that whenever they would, whenever they would see it again later, they would go. That's what he said at the, at the feeding of the 5,000. And remember, he told us. That he was going to give us his flesh and his blood to drink. He was doing the exact same thing. Already preparing his disciples for the Eucharist at the Last Supper. And for us here today. Jesus also. He doesn't just send out. He doesn't go person to person. To each individual feeding the 5,000 by his own hand. He gives this miraculous bread to his disciples. And tells them. You go feed them. Many churches in the world today don't feel a need for the priest. Everybody can do anything in the spiritual life. But this gospel pretty much tells us, in no uncertain terms, that there are certain ones who are chosen to go and to give the food of God to the people of God. His disciples. His priests. And that's why we have me. And so many other priests throughout the world. The ones that the Lord has said, here, here's the food. Feed my people. Feed my sheep. The priesthood is, is implied in this entire reality. And I think beautifully, at the end, after everyone is filled, everyone is full, the Lord says, gather up the fragments. Because every crumb was important. And at every single Mass, after communion, the priest returns to the altar and he gathers up every single crumb because it is important that none would be wasted, that none will be lost. Also beautifully and interestingly, 
that at the end of the gospel passage, the Lord Jesus indicates, and St. Luke highlights the fact that there were 12 wicker baskets left over. It's almost as if Jesus was giving a wicker basket full of this special bread to each of his 12 apostles to say, you're about to have a ministry of feeding people with miraculous bread. Get ready for it. Twelve baskets for twelve men. The fascinating thing, though, is that step three is actually not the end of the process. There's a step four, which the Lord is calling us to right now. In fact, the prayers of the Mass today are saturated with this prayer, this ancient longing for step four, what God has been working for. You see, right now we have, the, we have the Eucharist. We need the Eucharist to be united to the body of Christ. We need the Eucharist to be united to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. But in heaven, we will have the Lamb of God fully. We won't need a sign of it. We won't need a, 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 a foretaste of it. We will have the reality. And this is the beautiful thing is that that what we do here is preparing, is, is changing our hearts, shaping our hearts, teaching our hearts to long for eternal life for what God has really desired us for. The thing for which we were created. The Lord is waiting for us and he's teaching us and calling us. Today as we celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi at the end of Mass, uh, we're going to have benediction and adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. So we're going to put the, put the, the Eucharist and the monstrance, the, the, you know, the, um, the thing that shows things. That's what it means. Monstrares demonstrate, right? So it's the, the thing that shows us the face of God. And we will bow down before our Lord and we will worship. And then we'll give the final blessing with the Eucharist, which is essentially the blessing of the hand of God coming to bless us himself. Not just blessing us through his priest, but blessing us in himself. I would suggest to you that this is actually a very strong foretaste of what step four is really going to be like for us. If you want to know what heavenly worship will look like, read the book of Revelation. Yes, there are some crazy parts where there are all kinds of strange beasts and very strange signs and symbols and words that are spoken. But in the midst of that, chapter 4 of the book of Revelation contains for us uh, an unveiling of what heavenly worship will be like, at least in part. This is from the vision that St. John the Apostle has of heaven. And when he opens his eyes, he sees the heavenly reality, and it includes such things as candles and torches, fine gold, this gold filled with with beautiful and shining jewels. There is incense. There is singing. And the entire people of God in heaven bow down. They fall to their knees and worship the God in song. And if that doesn't describe what we do in benediction, I don't know what would. That we come to him, the Lamb of God, on this altar. And we experience... For five or six minutes, something like heaven. For many of us, it doesn't feel like heaven necessarily. Because our, our, our souls aren't attuned to it. We, we don't hunger for it like the Lord desires. But he's trying to teach us to see, to increase our faith, to be able to trust in him and to know him.
This is what the Lord desires of us for this Mass. To be able to recognize in the Eucharist not a sign, not some symbol, not a, a, a nice pious thought, but in the true reality, the actual, literal, true body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. If Christ took such care with the five loaves and two fish that were multiplied, how much more care ought we to take with the Blessed Sacrament? If the people were called to faith by that simple sign that the Lord was preparing, how much more ought we to have faith in this gift that is here? The gift of Christ himself, the body and blood of our Lord. So let us draw close to the Lamb of God here and now, that he might draw us close to himself for eternity.